Christ, if you're having a special family dinner, you're all gathered in the dining room, it's packed with family and, and friends to celebrate, do you want to see the two-by-fours of the wall exposed? Do you want to see the rafters exposed? Do you want to see a beam going across the, the ceiling of the room propped up by a two-by-four? Do you want to see your house in a state of disrepair? Can you celebrate when your house looks like it's falling down around your ear? Well, it depends, doesn't it? It depends on why the house looks like that. If the house hasn't been maintained, if the house is falling into disrepair, if it's literally falling down around you, there's nothing to celebrate at all. That's a pretty depressing situation. But what if you can see the two-by-fours in the wall because you're doing that renovation that you've been waiting for for so many years and you've been saving up for, and finally, it's in progress. And it's not done yet, but you've got that extra room and you've got those bigger windows that you've put on and put in and, and you're seeing lots of things not yet done. But the exposed rafters and the exposed beams and that temporary prop, it all speaks of a great project to make your house more comfortable, more pleasant, and more beautiful. And that situation is not depressing at all. But even in that imperfection, you can celebrate and rejoice. Not there yet, but we're getting closer every day to the end of our Renault project. Now, the Bible speaks of us, believers, as a building, as a house. Your body is a spiritual house. We just read it there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit comes to the believer, all those who repent and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God comes and makes his home in us. Now today we're feasting. Today we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, and there are outward signs of bread and wine. We can see them, we can smell them. We can handle them. We can eat and drink these testimonies of the gospel. That's the external bit. But while that's happening externally, there are things happening inside you. Inside that home, that spiritual temple, which is the dwelling of God. Inwardly, the Spirit is feeding you. He is nourishing your faith. And in the throne room of your heart, there is a spiritual feast where Christ presides and he nourishes you spiritually with his body and his blood and your soul communes with Christ. And so the believer can say, I am the dwelling place of God. I am Bethel, the house of God. I am the habitation of Christ. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit has made his home in my heart. And there be any greater reason to celebrate. And yet, 
great joy is mixed with great solemnity. Why? Because this temple, this house of God, is not really fit for the King of Kings. Is it? We look at this house, which is up, and it, we, we see that it's, it's unfinished. It's imperfect. It needs a lot of work. There are some rooms still full of junk and filthy piles of stinking garbage that need to be cleaned out. There are still some walls which are infested with some kind of weird black mold which need to be ripped out. There's lots of stuff in this house of mine which doesn't fit, doesn't belong in the palace of a holy king. So how does that work? What's going on? How can the Christian say on the one hand, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then at the same time, that same Christian says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Well, question answer two of the Catechism answers that. Question answer two of the Catechism summarizes the teaching of Scripture. says, to live in the comfort of knowing that you belong to Christ. You need to know three things. You need to know sin, salvation, and service. You need to know guilt, grace, and gratitude. Then you will understand what's happening in your life, in your sanctification. And as you participate in the Lord's Supper, you will understand when you understand those three things. And then Lord's Day 2 answers the question of why there is that tension between Christ lives in me and wretched man who will deliver me. Lord's Day 2 answers that by describing to us what Scripture says about us apart from Christ. This is who we are apart from Christ. This is who we are by nature as fallen men, women, and children. We are inclined by nature to hate, to hate God and our neighbor. Brother and sister, we have to understand that. We got to know that. Because if we don't know that, we don't understand that, we will never understand the gospel. We will never understand Christ. So we look at the law, and it's a blueprint. And it describes how this house is built and how it is to function. And we, we look at the, the blueprints and we see a magnificent mansion, a palace. It is glorious. It is designed to be the residence of a great king, a place for feasting and hospitality, a place for light and, and laughter and joy, a place to, for the king to reside and to receive the neighbors and to have communion, a place for hospitality, a place which is to be filled with blazing light and love and joy. That's the blueprint. That's what the law describes. And then we look at this house, which is me. 
and we compare ourselves with that blueprint, what do we see? We see that apart from Christ, fallen man is nothing like this. We see that apart from Christ, natural man, the, the man in his sin and his fallenness is a massive ruin, a dark, ominous, crumbling shell. And, and you can walk up to this magnificent ruin and you can see the outlines of what it was supposed to be, but is not. It is a glorious ruin, but it is a ruin. And the lights are out, but someone is home. You knock on the door of this ruined castle, this ruined palace, and you're invited in by the steward, the house manager, and you ask him, what happened? What happened to this glorious building? What happened? And he tells you, it was all good. But I opened the door to the king's enemies. I let them in. They came in, and now they run the place. I can't do anything. I have no power to evict them. The basement rooms are dens full of thieves. There are murderous villains lurking in the dark corners of what used to be the throne room. Every vile and wicked thing is practiced by these squatters, these invaders, who now run this place. That's the heart of the natural man. That's the heart of the sinner without Christ. It is, it is no place for love and for communion and fellowship with God or with the neighbor. If the neighbors show up at a place like this, they're going to be robbed, beaten, hated, killed. And it's no place for the king. Who, which king would want to live in a dump like this? And there are terrifying rumors of the armies of the king inbound to tear this house down, to destroy it, because its very existence is an affront and an insult to the great king. That's the picture that we get from that blueprint, which is the law of God. And we have to know this. We have to understand this. This is who we are, apart from Christ. And the, the horror of Lord's Day 2 helps us to understand the joy and the comfort of Lord's Day 1. Because that horrible, nasty picture isn't true anymore. Something has happened. A miracle, the unthinkable, has happened. The great king, the one who built this glorious palace, he had every right to destroy it when it fell into the hand of the enemies when it was reduced to filthy, garbage-infested ruins, instead of destroying it, he bought it back. He loved it so much, he paid the highest price in the universe, the blood of his own son. While we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. He bought us with a price body and soul, the house, the body, and the soul, the steward, redeemed by the blood of the Son of God. And so now, if you come to this ruin and you visit the steward again, 
He will tell you an amazing story. The king's son came. He told us that he has taken possession. His troops expelled all of the murderers and robbers and villains lurking in the dark corners. Now, there's still a work in progress. There may be a few still deep in the dark cellars somewhere, but they sure don't run the place anymore. He has set me free from all the power of the devil. And Emmanuel runs this place now. And there is a massive rebuilding renovation program going on, ripping out all the gross, disgusting garbage left by the old residents. And sometimes the ripping down and the destroying of the ruins is scary and it's a painful and destructive process. But I know that he is working by his master plan. He is rebuilding, renovating into what it was supposed to be. Nothing happens on this project without his order. Without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. And every work he does in me, even the painful ones, they bring me closer to that goal of being perfectly remade to be who I was created to be. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. You know, this, this house of ours, this ruin, this wreck, which was purchased and made God's own possession, it's not ready yet. And yet the king of kings has already moved in, even though the renovations continue. That's amazing. And so am I afraid when I see the imperfections and I see some of the junk that still needs to be ripped out, am I afraid that the house will be destroyed and that the king will reject it? No, he lives here. No one's going to destroy this place. It's under his protection. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life. You know, there was a time when I thought it was a good idea to open the door to the villains and the thieves and the murderers, to the enemies of the king. But was that ever a bad idea? All it did was destroy my relationship with the king and with the neighbors. I was a prisoner under the power of the evil forces who took up residence in this place. But now I have this comfort and joy of the gospel, that I am not my own. I am bought with a price. I am his own possession. I belong to him. And now all I want to do is glorify God with my body. He makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. And what does this all mean for us as we sit at the table and eat the body and drink the blood of the Lord? In our hearts, in our inner man, there is a spiritual feast. Christ the King is enthroned in our hearts. What used to be a shameful ruin is now being renovated into a palace fit for a king. That's why God is hammering away at your life, because he loves you and because he has a glorious goal for what you're going to look like forever. If God isn't hammering away at your life, 
you got to worry. You got to worry a lot because that means that the renovation isn't happening. Now, here's the question Are you heartily willing and ready to live for Him? That means that you're willing to celebrate the progress of the renovation project. That means even if it hurts, you long for, you desire nothing more intensely than to come closer and closer to that goal of perfection, to be remade perfectly after the image of Christ Jesus himself. If you're a believer, that's your attitude towards life. You say, Lord, the good things and the hard things, if they drive me to Christ, if they form me to be like Christ, bring it on. Bring it on, Lord, even when it's hard, even when it hurts, even when it's somewhat scary. Is that your attitude to the renovation project that the Spirit of God is doing? Or... Or are there dark corners in your heart that you want to stay dark? You don't want the light of the gospel to shine upon them and show that something needs to change. Maybe some of the old resident villains are still slipping in and out through the side door. And maybe you're putting them up for a night, for a week, for a month. Maybe they've never left. The demons of lust, anger, bitterness, envy, discontent, ingratitude, greed, pride, and all of their buddies. Sinner, you need to come to Christ. Starting with a sinner on the pulpit, every sinner here whether it's for the first time or for the so manyth time, you need to come to Christ. And you need to know the only comfort in life and death is that you belong to him, that you are not your own, that he has bought you, that he has redeemed you, that he has cleansed you, that he has washed you, that he is renewing you, that he is transforming you from glory to glory to be like he is. That is the gospel in the supper. That is the goal of the supper. It declares that Christ brings you from ruin to renovation. And that is something to celebrate. That is something to feast about. And as we eat and drink, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.